Welcome to Hang Your Hat, ideas that are close to home. This is episode four, one resolution to rule them all. In this episode, I propose a quest with potentially magical consequences that will help you conquer your New Year's resolutions. I would like to apologize ahead of time this week for my voice in this episode. I'm afraid I have a bit of a cold, and while I will try my best to keep the sniffly nose sounds out of the audio, I'm afraid the funny voice is beyond my audio editing capabilities. It's a new year, a time for new beginnings and turning over a new leaf. To that end, many people make New Year's resolutions. The types of New Year's resolutions that people make stay pretty consistent from one year to the next. Over the past several years, the top New Year's resolutions included losing weight or getting fit, getting organized, spending less money, and enjoying life more. Knowing all of this, I have a radical proposal. I propose that all we really need is one resolution, and that this one resolution will have such far-reaching consequences that all other resolutions we might have had will no longer be necessary in their doors. The research, which was the first of its kind, documented how the families used their time, their homes, the thousands of objects in their homes, and which aspects of home life cause stress. They found that managing the huge numbers of possessions in each home actually elevated the levels of the stress hormone cortisol for the mothers. The fathers in the study showed no significant rise in cortisol levels, which could account for some of the additional tension between heterosexual couples and cluttered households. In another study... Neuroscientists at Princeton looked at people's task performance in an organized versus disorganized environment. They found that physical clutter in your surroundings competes for your attention, resulting in decreased performance and increased stress. In short, if you want to reduce stress, reduce clutter, especially if you're a mother. There are other impacts that are harder to measure than cortisol levels, however. One is missed social opportunities. Most people with a cluttered home don't like to show it off. As a result, people with cluttered homes are less likely to invite people over to socialize. For extroverts who don't mind going out of the house and socializing, this may not be a problem. But for introverts who often feel uncomfortable going out to socialize, it can lead to social isolation, which can in turn lead to depression. Another problem are the feelings of guilt or shame that often come with clutter. We hold on to things based on hopes or good intentions, like, I'm not going to get rid of that stack of magazines because I plan to find the time to read them, or I'm not going to get rid of those pants that are too small because I hope to lose those 10 pounds someday. But when our hopes and good intentions don't come to fruition, they tend to turn into guilt and shame. Getting rid of these objects that are the sources of the guilt and shame can help relieve it. But it's important to note here that you need to understand why you're doing it. What's decluttering's purpose for you? 
you have to confront the emotional issue that led you to build up the clutter in the first place, or you are likely going to end up with a cluttered house once again. Finally, decluttering can improve confidence and self-esteem. Through taking control of an aspect of your life that was previously out of control, and through the realization that you control the stuff, the stuff does not control you. Now, how can decluttering make you healthier? For one, it might make you sleep better. A study in the journal Sleep called Sleep Quality and Sleep Disturbance and Those at Risk for Hoarding Disorder found that people at risk for hoarding disorder were far more likely to have sleep disturbances than those that were not at risk. They also found that uncomfortable sleeping conditions due to hoarding behavior, like a cluttered bed, made sleep worse. And then the bad sleep increased the risk of cognitive dysfunction, which then increased the risk of hoarding behavior, making the problem worse. The implication is that getting rid of the clutter may make the environment more conducive to sleep, and as a result, make it easier to sleep. Getting rid of the clutter might also make you breathe easier, particularly if you have allergies or asthma. Dust mites, pet dander, and mold lurk in areas that are not cleaned regularly. And the more stuff you have, the harder it is to clean. This leads to decreased air quality, and the worse the air quality, the more likely that asthma or allergies will be a problem. Clutter is also a safety hazard. Tripping over clutter can cause injuries, sometimes serious ones, like broken bones. And in the case of fire, clutter can hasten its spread or hinder your ability to escape or be rescued from a burning house. There are also more subtle ways that clutter can make you unhealthy too. It can make you less likely to exercise. If you can't find your running shoes, you're probably not going to go for a jog. And if you have to clear a spot on the floor to stretch out on, you're probably not going to do yoga. And if you can't find a ball, you're probably not going to head out to the yard to play catch with your kids. You'll also be a lot less likely to prepare healthy meals if you have to clear a spot in your kitchen to work. So you'll probably fix sodium-laden TV dinners or grab calorie-packed fast food instead. Decluttering can also save you a lot of money. Most people think that they will make money by selling the stuff that they declutter. And while this can certainly be the case, and you can definitely make money by selling stuff on eBay or Craigslist or even a garage sale, I think that the money to be made is often overestimated. I also think that waiting to sell things keeps clutter in your home longer. So while I don't want to discount it as a way to save money by decluttering, I don't want to focus on it either. Instead of selling the stuff that you declutter, you could donate it to a charitable organization. If you itemize your tax deductions, you can deduct the value of your donation from your tax bill, potentially saving you more from your tax bill than you would have gotten from selling the items. And you help the community at the same time, which is a win-win. I've also found that a lot of people with clutter end up with storage units to house some of their clutter, and storage units are expensive. Decluttering enough to get rid of a storage unit or significantly reduce the size of the storage unit can save hundreds of dollars per month, depending on the cost of the storage unit, obviously. Where there are some valid reasons for keeping a storage unit, most of the time I don't think storage units are necessary. If you don't like the stuff in your storage unit enough to make a space for it in your house, do you really need to keep it? You can also save by 
making room in your current house so that you don't need to buy a bigger or more expensive place. Many people with clutter feel that their houses are too small, but that might not actually be the case. You might just have too much stuff taking up space in a home that would be perfectly adequate in size without the clutter. You may even find after decluttering that your house is bigger than what you actually need and that you can downsize to a smaller, less expensive home. You can also reduce your bills by paying them on time and avoiding late payment charges. When bills get lost amongst the clutter, they can also be forgotten, leading to late payments and late payment charges. When there's no clutter for a bill to be lost in, it's a lot easier to find the bill when it needs to be paid. Decluttering can also reduce your general spending. If you know what you have and where to find it, you can avoid buying duplicates of things that you already own. You may also begin to see how detrimental impulse buying really is, helping you to curb your future purchases. This is not only good for your wallet, but good for the planet as well. Decluttering can even save you money on your electric bill and heating and cooling system costs. Most HVAC systems work optimally within a very specific air pressure range, which depends on adequate airflow in your home. When airflow is hindered by, say, a mound of clothes or a stack of boxes in front of the vent, the air pressure increases. This makes your system work harder, not only increasing your energy usage, but also reducing the lifespan of your HVAC system. The same thing happens when you close the vents in an unused room, so don't think that's an option. There are some very modern zone systems that can automatically adjust to these pressure changes, but if you're not sure you have one, chances are you don't. Now, think about all the time spent cleaning, organizing, buying, and maintaining your extra stuff. Think about all the time you spend searching for your missing keys or shoes or tools. Now imagine doing something enjoyable with that time instead. A reduction in clutter means less time doing things for your stuff and more time doing things for yourself. Last but not least, decluttering can help you lose weight. I've already talked about how decluttering can make it easier to exercise and eat healthy, but the act of decluttering itself may help you lose weight as well. For a while now, professional organizers have noticed an interesting phenomenon with their clients. They have noticed that many of their clients start out overweight or even obese, and without intentionally trying to lose weight, finish the process of decluttering, weighing significantly less than they did when they started out. There are actually several books on the subject you can check out now, including Lose the Clutter, Lose the Weight by Peter Walsh and Fit to Live by Pamela Peek. I'll link to them in the show notes. The basic theory is that for most people, excessive consumption of stuff goes hand in hand with excessive consumption of food, so that people who have a lot of clutter are more likely to weigh more than is ideal as well. As the clutter is cleared and one aspect of this excessive consumption is controlled, people begin unconsciously taking control of the excessive food consumption as well. The result is weight loss. For me, this makes sense. If they share a similar cause, then the tools used in knowledge gained controlling one should contribute to the controlling of the other. Okay, so now that I've hopefully convinced you that decluttering is the only New Year's resolution you need, I do need to tell you about a problem. In 2015, 62% of Americans stated that they made resolutions at least occasionally. 
So you would think that with so many resolving to change, that the resolutions would change from one year to the next. People that got fit one year would move on to something else the next year. But that doesn't happen. The top resolutions for 2015 were basically the same as the top resolutions for 2016. The problem is that resolutions rarely work. In 2015, only 8% of people were completely successful at achieving their resolutions. Resolutions just don't stick. In 2015, only 75% of people maintained their resolutions through the first week, and less than half still maintained their resolutions after six months. Psychologists have differing ideas about why resolutions don't stick. Some think that people are not really ready to change their habits. And some believe that people set unrealistic goals and expectations in their resolutions. Others have identified something called the false hope syndrome, which is when a person's resolution is out of alignment with the person's internal view of themselves. The bottom line is, to really change your behavior, you have to change your thinking, and that takes time. If you really want to make a New Year's resolution, there are a few things psychologists say you can do to make your resolution more likely to succeed. First, set specific realistic goals. For example, don't make a resolution to lose weight. Make a resolution to lose 10 pounds in three months. Second, take small steps. If your goal takes too much effort all at once, you'll be more likely to give it up. Third, tell someone else about your resolution that will keep you accountable. Grab a couple of hobbits, an elf, and a dwarf or two, and set off on your journey together. When you work with someone that shares your goals, you can help each other out when things get tough. Fourth, celebrate the little successes rather than waiting to celebrate when you meet your final goal. Take some before and after shots, post them online, and do a little dance. It can help keep you motivated. Fifth, focus your thinking on doing the new behavior rather than not doing the old behavior. It will help build new neural pathways that help change your habits. Sixth, focus on the present and what you can do to meet your goal at the current point in time rather than living in the past or the future. Seventh, if you slip up, don't quit. Take the next opportunity to work towards your goal once again. And last, focus only on one goal at a time. One more reason that decluttering should be your only resolution. So, how should you go about decluttering? There are probably hundreds of decluttering methods out there. I think the one that you should use should be the one that you will stick with, whatever that method happens to be. Go to Google, type in decluttering methods, read up on a few, and pick the one that resonates with you. That being said, my current personal favorite is the KonMari Method by Marie Kondo. Her decluttering book, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up, is a bestseller currently. The reason that I like this method so much is that it doesn't ask you what you want to get rid of. It asks you what you want to keep. At face value, these seem like the same thing, but I think they're very different. For me, deciding what to keep is an active decision. It is making a decision about the kind of person you want to be moving forward and what objects will contribute to that future vision of yourself. Deciding what to get rid of is a passive decision. It's about what no longer contributes to your life currently, and it says nothing about the person you're trying to be. For me, that makes all the difference in the world. Before I go this week, I want to take a quick moment to talk about hoarding disorder and its less well-known cousin, obsessive-compulsive decluttering. 
These are psychological disorders that significantly impact the lives of the people that suffer from them and require medical intervention. If you believe that you or someone you know suffers from hoarding disorder or obsessive decluttering, please seek medical attention. A New Year's resolution to change your behavior simply isn't enough. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please rate the show or leave a review on iTunes. I'll be back in two weeks with the next episode, but if you'd like to get in touch in the meantime, please send me an email at hangyourhatpodcast at gmail.com. You can also visit the website hangyourhatpodcast.com. The Hang Your Hat Podcast is a production of jerkincrafts.com. That is G-E-R-W-E-R-K-E-N You can visit Jerkin Crafts for DIY, home decor, crafts, tutorials, and more.